in a world driven by selfies and social media, where empathy and entrepreneurs are considered contradictory. One podcast has set out to put empathy back in the boardroom by hearing from the best entrepreneurs around the world. Empathize It will hear from the leaders of the digital economy and learn how the soft skills drive their business. This is the Empathize It podcast. All right. So good evening, Rachel. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm really excited about this discussion. Awesome. Me too. First of all, I want to say, uh, Rachel, I'm a big fan. I've been a fan for a while, Um, even though maybe not we've had not had many conversations. Uh, I've been watching the conversations that you've had online and really people, there are some people uh, that I've put on my top of wish list kind of people and you were definitely on the top. So I'm really honored. Thank you. Um, So that's awesome. So thanks a lot. Well, I am honored to be here. I am also a fan of yours. So when thank you reached you. out, I was like, of course it's a yes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, for me living across the pond, it's, it's not, it's, it's a lot to see the conversations that people are having. And sometimes because of the time gap, uh, there's not always the opportunity to have the conversation. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, so before I continue, I'll just say is I'm speaking tonight with, uh, or this afternoon for Rachel, but for me, or this morning for Rachel, for me, it's the evening. Uh, After a long time of back and forth of trying to make this work, speaking with uh, Rachel Miller, uh, the senior strategist, a social strategist at Thulium, which is basically an awesome company that does an award-winning storytelling company uh, that works with B2B companies and creates their stories on social, which to me is like the best conversation ever to have. Uh, And also one of the unique things about Thulium, and I've done some research myself, uh, is to see that they actually have the the data, that they're data-driven which is important, and they can actually prove their ROI, which is even more important. Uh, so that's awesome. So thanks again, Rachel. So thank you. Uh, so let's get started, Rachel. Before we, you know, even though I introduced the company, give us a little bit about yourself slash about the company that you work with. Sure. So the company was founded by Tamara McCleary, who is, as you know, quite well known on social. She's uh, been a huge favorite of mine just for one, her unique storytelling. I think she's incredibly gifted. Um, not just as a writer, but also a speaker. Um, she has a unique way of humanizing brands, particularly in the B2B tech space, which is not always easy. They're not always the sexiest brands, um, but when you can really break through, you can do some really magical things. Um, so partnering with her um, and my other colleagues at Filium has been really satisfying for me, just the brands that we work with um, and what we're able to help companies build, not just for share voice, but just increasing their general awareness um, and it's just, I can't emphasize that human element more because I think it's often forgotten. People, especially tech brands, are shouting at their consumers like, you know, this is the best number one product, but then it's the why, like, you know. <laughs> so um, helping people really drill down and find their, their why and their how um, is really cool. So, you know, you mentioned just, just now, you said that you love working with tech companies and the company is actually doing a lot of great work with tech company, tech companies. And you're saying is that they're getting to finding their why. So that's a big statement. And we all know, you know, that's like a, a nice big statement of what it, what it means. But let's, when you, when you're getting that first uh, initial conversation going with your client or the first part, that time the client actually starts agreeing to do work with, uh, with you, what, how does that process work? How does it, how do you get them to be that, to get to them to that why? Because obviously, like you said, Tech companies are like screaming about their products, screaming how good they are, and trying to say, let's sell, sell, sell. But now we're saying is, 
we need to understand your why so we could tell a better story. And that's not only about the sale. How's that go? Yeah, I think it's a lot of honest conversations because you walk in the room and they're like, well, we sell computer parts. <laughs> you're like, okay, you're not the only company that does that. So you have to really drill down with like the core, like what's their mission statement. A lot of it's helping companies even realize that because you walk in and some of these brands, they're doing quite well, but they haven't even, and that all plays into employee experience as well. So if you have, okay, what's your, your mission statement for your company, um, for the customers, for your employees? It's a whole, very holistic approach um, for branding. And um, it, it takes a while. It's not usually a one day thing. Uh, we actually went through the process ourselves recently with Thulium um, leading into the new year. And it's some really intense workshops um, that can take, for us, we, we drill, drill down face to face for a few days, but it could take weeks or months with larger organizations um, until you come down with a, you know, hopefully a couple of sentences that really resonate um, and it becomes like a power statement for the employees. They go out there and like, yeah, this is what we do and why we do it. And we're stoked to be doing it. Um, and that really then reflects back and consumers are like, oh, now they're paying attention. We want to know why you're doing it. Um, so it's, it's a win-win. Oh, and that, that shift, does that process, I mean, you mentioned it takes a couple of months. Does that shift happen um, you know, I, I call it like organically, or is there sometimes there's like this little back and forth in terms of the company saying is, oh, that's not where we were going, or we didn't realize it. Is there like that aha moment sometimes where they're just like, we finally get what you're trying to get to do? Like, I know experiences with my clients, we've always trying to push them to get to that why moment. Uh, and it takes it, I'm sure it goes with, on larger tech companies as well. Is that right? Is that right? There's always that aha moment, and we're obviously st you strive for that because then everyone's like that, ah, and the birds yeah. sing, and the, the, like the, the room gets brighter. Um, and it can come down to just changing one word in the sentence. Um, the nuances of phrasing um, can really just make it go from being just an okay, and everyone's like okay, and then it becomes like yes, this is us. Um, and that and that uh, that process is is obviously a lot of questions and back and forth. And you're working with the entire team. You're not just working with the CEO or the C-suite. You're working with marketing, everyone in the employee, you know, entire. It depends staff. on the organization. And honestly, um, in the past, it's been a really large team. Sometimes it's very small because um, you know when you get to enterprises, they're small countries, and you can't have everybody's hands in it because it'll never happen. <laughs> right. So, and it is an iterative process what's your mission statement for 2019 might be different in 2011. And I think that's awesome that people aren't going to be like, we've had the same mission statement for 50 years because the world 50 years ago was completely different. And Lord knows 50 years from now, we we're going to be living in space somewhere. So it's, um, <laughs> we're not going to be in the same place. Take your daughter to space day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Colonize whatever new solar system. So um, yeah, I think if they go into with that mindset where, it's like web design, you know, this is what we're putting to the world now, but we're open to always changing it. And I think that's um, important. It definitely is important. So now that we, um, and, and when we, when I kind of was started the conversation with you via email, you said that you love talking about all these, these topics that are, that are important to me, which are empathy, the soft skills, the things that really people don't like to talk about, about business. What is it about that conversation that, that you enjoy? And what is it that, that, gets you to get that, that part of the conversation, you know, when you're talking with your clients or customers, how does it really, um, how does that come forward? How does that come to the top of the conversation? Um, I think humans have never been more positioned to be their best selves. And I mean that in light of the technological advances that we have the last couple of years and just the ones that are coming in the next few years. Um, I know there's been a lot of concern about artificial intelligence, the future of work. So especially with some of my current clients, we do a lot 
about that um, future of work and you know the World Economic Forum Davos coming up where you know, kind of the different economical situations with the you know obviously like the US or then versus more um, up-and-coming countries we're all in different positions like the aging workforce um, and humans the EQ like the soft skills have never been more important um, one to complement AI teach the AI like we're the new roles that are coming up are just going to be things that machines can't do. So as long as humans are open to it, you, your role is going to change. You, there's jobs for you, but you're not going to be doing the same thing. I think it's just having that mindset where there's going to be tons of jobs. They're just going to be different. Um, so don't fear losing your job. Just embrace changing it. <laughs> that actually is going to be my, you know, that was a great segue because I think that's where we started having the conversation of inviting you onto the t podcast was your Mercer chat that you kind of, uh, work with, and I'm, I'm, I've asked a question before, so I'm allowed to mention that Thulian works with Mercer, which I think is cool uh, and awesome. Uh, and so that chat, and I've been participated in that chat several times. It's called the Future of Work, if that's if I'm right. I think that's the name of the chat. There's, um, it's actually just Mercer chats. We don't oh, have like a, a consistent okay. timeline. We just uh, we choose a topic each month. Um, and the last few months, we've been really focused on the upcoming World Economic Forum, kind of what sure. they're going to be focusing on to complement it. Um, with thought leaders that we've invited on. Awesome. And that conversation is obviously also talking about how companies are going to change their, you know, the, from when, like you said, AI is going to be taking on a lot of roles and replacing some of the positions that currently exist for humans, but humans are going to have to be behind that to really drive the AI to the correct place. So when you're, when you're talking about empathy and, you know, the soft skills, how do you put that? To, how do you put those two together? Like, how do you put AI into this? You know, AI, you know, technology and soft skills for business in general right now. And as you in the future, how do you put that together? Because empathy is a very big word now; it's popular, but it's also like a, 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 there's a, there is something to it, and there's everyone is em empathic in some way. But how do you put that together? Yeah, I think that that is a word that has many nuances and probably multiple definitions, whether it's in a personal setting or professional. Um, I mean, I think at its core, it's being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes, seeing the situation in their eyes and being able to kind of accept that and then affect the outcome, hopefully in a positive way, would be kind of my, if you're being empathetic, you're like, I see you, I hear you, let's work on it um, together. I think that's how I kind of interpret it. Um, and when you, I would, yeah, my, my, no, my definition is just very similar. My definition is definitely that being able to put someone yourself into that person's shoes. Although, you know, a little nugget of information about me is I, I come from, the, I actually have a master's in social work. So using empathy and saying the, we put yourself into someone else's shoes is actually like a big no-no in that, in that field because you're not supposed to say putting you into their shoes because that means that you are trying to get to a point where you actually, you know, one of the biggest no-nos in social work is to say, I understand what you're saying. Um, really is because you can't really say that because you, you don't understand you you can relate to or something like that but never say understand um, also because you never you hopefully you've never been in that situation again in that field um, but that being said is it, you're trying to understand you're trying to get to the point where you are as close as possible to being on the same wavelength same page um, that's for me and it's also to make sure that you're talking from that perspective as opposed to from what you think is the perspective that needs to be said which to me is also a very important uh, nuance. Um, yeah, and I think from a technical standpoint or just the technology and what we have available, there's a lot of like your voice inflections. Like if you're talking with customer service or a chatbot, 
there are terms and phrases and obviously your voice when you're getting frustrated you're going to sound a little bit different and i don't know if we're at that point where ai is able to interpret that it's going to keep spitting back answers that are going to aggravate <laughs> the person instead of like a human would be like oh my goodness okay this person's starting to spiral i need to change my tone slow down my voice you know kind of do things that um to help calm them so that they can move forward towards a resolution um and i well, think that's I, I was just saying yesterday that you know computers we can't we, we can't understand sarcasm online yet so you know there's always that snarkiness that people don't get and that, i think that's you know ai is i've been an advocate for color coding for a long time like with tech messages and on twitter but we should have a color for sarcasm oh. <laughs> just know it's like in purple Right. Being okay. sarcastic. <laughs> purple for sarcastic. Okay, so we're going to put that as the topic of for today's purple for sarcastic. <laughs> um, so yeah, th that's I think where I think people you know, I think it was one of the Mercer, I think it was one of the Mercer chats that we were talking. I think that you were talking about, you know, people are scared about AI taking jobs away, and because people you know, especially the senior jobs, I think might be a little bit more secure for this in this regard. But the lower level jobs. People are nervous because they're gonna be like, oh, we're just going to be replaced by human beings, uh, by, by computers, and humans will be replaced by them and automated and whatever it is. And that sensitivity, that knowing how to, uh, the direction, I think, of that conversation, if I recall correctly, was that we have to educate and we have to kind of give them the tools now so that way in the next year, two, five, uh, from now, that those people are already skilled up so that they can move up in the world and they don't feel like they're being replaced. Is that Absolutely. There has to be, and it's a two-way street. The individual, I think, I am I believe individuals need to take responsibility for their career. Um, and I, I'm a huge advocate for that. Like, you can't always expect your employer to be the one driving you to increase your knowledge and your skills. So that's just not going to happen. <laughs> so, but I love the companies that do. And I think that's, it's, that it has to be a partnership uh, in the future of work. So yeah, the reskilling and upskilling um, needs to be a major emphasis starting today. Um, and that looks different for developing countries and then for, so I think that's also, I've been reading about that a lot too. Like what are the, you know, the African countries, the ones who are going to massive drop in the workforce when automation comes in, um, how are they going to reskill? Um, and also the aging populations in those developing countries, like what was that going to look like for them? Um, but I am optimistic that there is just a lot of untapped potential um, in so many new roles. I mean, I can imagine like my daughter's eight, what she will graduate to be. Like it's, you know, 10, 12 years from now, who knows what her degree is going to be in. Um, something that didn't exist 20 years ago, I'm sure. <laughs> She'll be going on space, how to get onto space, right? Because we just- Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so now, now working with people is always an interesting topic to me in general. And there's always, you know, there's sensitivities and things like that. And then you have to transfer this information of sensitivities, uh, cultural differences, um, understanding where people are, you know, kind of where their position is and how that is. But how does the, uh, that, and then that data that you're, you know, you said you're really passionate about data-driven people and data-driven businesses, especially Ethereum. But how does that, you know, how do you take the data and say, okay, I get the data and I get what they're trying to say. Now we have to put it actually into, you know, into action, into a story. How do we put that all together? Well, it's, I think that's okay. Depending on how you're phrasing the question, there's the, like the KPI data that we're generating from the campaigns that we're running. And then are you talking about like, so the company is doing X, Y, Z. Maybe I, uh, let me rephrase my question. Sorry about that. If it's confusing um, more about like before the, you know, before the KPIs that you're going to build for your campaign, because that's already, you've already, once you've gotten to a campaign, you're ready to launch. 
you've already gotten to the point where the, the story and the unfolding of that story is already clear. What I'm saying is taking the data that they have in-house and turning that into saying is, okay, this is the story we're going to tell based on the data that you have in-house, right? Because we need to, be, before we can launch a campaign and what we're going to do online, we have to make sure that we're supporting and we're resonating with, with what you want to get to, right? So far? Okay. So right. I want to make, so I want to make sure is how do you take the data that they have uh, without obviously, you know, don't go into too much detail, because I'm sure you can, not you can, but not probably limitations. Um, but how do you take that data and say, okay, here's what we're seeing and, and then start giving them like some stories of, of things that you want to do. How does that, how does that happen? Well, I think as you, I'm a huge advocate for personas in marketing, like marketing and sales. Um, and I learned about them and many years ago when I was actually working in sales training, um, and I've carried that through um, and you can have multiple personas, sometimes, you know, dozens, depending on like global organizations. Um, I think global organizations today are also focused on regionalizing and then even localizing. So you've got like your general persona, like, okay, we're targeting 25 to 65 year old males or you know, whatever it happens to be. But then you That's a very that wide down. range. <laughs> <laughs> I hope That's I, your global I, Not a great that. example. So no, you basically no. get more finite as they right. go down to the areas. Um, so you need to know who you're talking to and you need to know who they want to hear from. And I think we often forget that. We can, we can get down to a fairly accurate picture of who we want to attract, but who do they want to see talking to them? And I think we forget about that. And that's what I've noticed a lot with influencer marketing. It's like they know who they want to attract, but then they pull in this person was not the ideal candidate. I think you've just He's reached a, really, a, a good a good topic because I was just talking about that today, but also, so kudos to you, but also because it's one of my favorite topics also, because I think there's a lot to be discussed there. So I'm going to, I'll put that in a second. But so you're talking about personas, you're talking about data. So you start, you start building the personas and you're telling me that the enterprises that you're working with still don't have their personas or they need to be fine tuned towards new stories or new conversations. I think they're fine tuning them. I think most have a general idea and they usually come over from sales. I think mm -hmm. sales usually leads that and then we can kind of piggyback off of that for marketing. And they're often the same, but I think we get more particular and I think the, like what we're talking about, we'd also include who they want to hear from. Um, Cause you can have the messaging from the salesperson and they have their, their shtick, but um, if you're doing like an ad campaign and there's a person or it's video, you really want to make sure that that person is going to resonate with the target audience. Um, otherwise, they're just not going to click or they're going to close it and you're done. <laughs> right. So, so you've got these, you've got these personas, which are hopefully are not as wide as 25 to 60 year old. <laughs> <laughs> every, every male in the world. <laughs> every male in the world, including myself, I guess. Um, anyway, so. Um, so you've got these, these great personas, you've kind of fine tuned, you've gotten to the point where you fine tuned them for the campaign, however long that is. And now you're saying is, okay, we want to tell this, the following narrative to this, to this audience and the narrative will be similar, but the message might be a little bit different for the, the, the next persona, which is exactly what we should be doing because that's the right process. Um, so, and then, then, you're, then you mentioned a code word for me or my, one of my favorite topics, influencer marketing. Now influencer marketing today is like number one topic of everyone's conversation. Um, and of course, it's not an old, it's not a new topic. It's been discussed before, meaning it's not something that we're recreating in, in, you know, in 2015, 16, 17, and 18, and now 19. It's something that has been happening a long time ago. It's not something new, but all of a sudden it's got a new name. So everyone thinks it's new and whatever. Um, so the, when you're defining influencer marketing, how do you define it? Because I have a, my own definition, so I want to hear yours. Um, 
For me, influencer marketing, I mean, and I agree, it's been around for a hundred, I mean, since the dawn of man. Right. Word of mouth marketing, however you want to, how far back you want to go, it's not right. a new concept. Um, we just made it shinier the last couple of years. <laughs> and also, I think, so, I think social, and listen, social, me- right. <laughs> social media, social media has definitely allowed people and for good and for bad, have allowed people to become influencers and whatever. But I think, it, I think it's also because of social, people have a lot more voice in terms of their influence. So it, now, it used to be that only, you know, the top 10% of people who could be the influencers. And now there's a lot more opportunities, which is a good thing, but also could be, you know, some people could be spewing a lot of stuff and saying they're influencers and they're really not. So we'll get to that in a second. Um, so yeah, go ahead. What's your, so what is your view of it? Um, for me, the definition, I guess, to, to keep it really succinct is um, collaborating, collaborating with um, key voices on certain topics that resonate with your audience. Um, and I think for me, it's important that you know your audience. And so I've become very skilled at social listening, social stalking, however you want to frame it, um, to find out who is influencing the influencers and who's really going to work for um, my target customer. Awesome. Okay, so that's so that's so, and then you, it doesn't matter if they have a you know I today I was just talking talking about the distinction between a blogger and an influencer. Um, actually, it was like a very unique conversation, uh, specifically with a, a specific um, with the city of Jerusalem. I was saying how bloggers offer one kind of value, and then influencers have a different kind of value because some of them have only one platform, one social platform that they have a big voice on, and bloggers have a different kind of more consistent, uh, and they also have some sort of you know, large content base that they use, meaning like a blog or vlog or whatever. Um, so that was my distinction, but that's not really my definition. It's more of a distinction. Um, so you don't, it doesn't, for you in terms of influencers, it doesn't make a difference if they have one platform that they use or multiple platforms or if they have a blog or not. It's more that the amount of people that are listening to them. Yes, and the type of influencer, and I agree, there are many types. Um, I have, I think, depending on who you are, you have kind of your own buckets that you put people in. So yeah, for me, I have like the thought leaders, amplifiers. Uh, I definitely put journalists and bloggers into their own little bucket. Um, the like the SMEs, mm-hmm. like, you know, you've got your, and they all play a role. And I think a really successful campaign pulls in from all because you need your amplifiers. You need those people that have like the, the crazy volume of audience to amplify your message, but you also need that SME who pulls in with that really great data points and they can speak to it on a dime. You need that person. Um, like the gen, the amplifiers are typically more generalists, so they can kind of, they speak on topics, but they can't really drill down super deep. Um, obviously the journalists to tap into publications, like there's, it's, it's all gotta be like a healthy mix. Um, and the platforms, again, it goes to who you're talking to. You can have someone who, maybe they're a huge amplifier on Instagram, but my target, my B2B customer, they're not on Instagram, or if they are, they're not on there for work. Not to say that's not all, but I've just noticed recently, um, some of our clients, like they have like their social good campaigns, they're really blowing up on Instagram, but to sell product, no, that's not, <laughs> no one's converting from Instagram. Oh, um, I just had a, that, that was a topic someone asked me three weeks ago, I gave a lecture and they work in real estate. And they said, "Is so? How do we use social media for real estate?" I said, "Well, personally, there's two different components. One answer would be is you don't, because I'm not going to buy your house, my house, from an ad that you put up on Facebook, right? Now, I'm not going to buy a mil- you know, three hundred thousand or four hundred thousand dollar item. It could be a tech item, or it could be a house. We're not going to buy it because I see an ad. Um, so that's important to understand. And I said the second part is just to build your conversation around 
that. You know, there's what the value, where the where is the community, those kind of things. So I would imagine that's the same kind of thing. How do you build a conversation around it? Because you're not going to be buying something from a social conversation that has online, but rather the association with the brand and that kind of thing. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. And I, I actually, I buy a lot from Instagram from more of a B2C perspective. Right. I've, you know, everything, news, books, whatever. I, I'm a sucker. They get me every time. <laughs> algorithm has me dialed in. <laughs> um, who needs, who needs, uh, what should we call it? Who needs uh, Amazon, right? Just right. Amazon. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, they've got me. Um, but yeah, I think from taking the real estate example, you could definitely become a thought leader in your area. Like telling what are the great neighborhoods? Um, what is this particular school known for? What are the hot spots for entertainment? You know, kind of like really regionalize your knowledge. So people are going to start following you because you know this city, town, like at the back of your hand. So when someone's looking for a home, they're like, hey, I want to be near a great school, you know, in an up and coming neighborhood. Right. You're going to be the go-to guy because you're right. the guy. So. And I, um, fall into, and I fall into the right the right age range, 25 to 60. So it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Man, if you're 25 and buying a house, I'm so jealous. Um, uh, uh, no, just... Yeah, uh, just I think, yeah, social media has, can be used in so many ways, but just forget the hard sell. I think that yeah. people just need to take that off the choice. Yeah. And when you, so, so you said you mentioned influencer marketing, which I think is is a great topic. is It's a lot of fun because I I think it's there's a lot to it and there's a lot to be said for it. Now, obviously, when you're talking this to your clients and customers, they're saying is okay. We understand what you want to do with influencers, but now you mentioned earlier, and I mentioned it before, that that your company can prove the data points and prove the ROI. But now with influencer marketing, there's there's got to be something that you can say is okay. We want to do this part of the campaign. How do we prove that? How do we prove the ROI of that? Of influencer marketing of just having a campaign well, um, not, not, not of a campaign in general but let's say well you know what let's answer both questions yes a campaign in general and then an influencer marketing component within that campaign sure and well i think um influencer marketing obviously the amplification capabilities exponential um it also adds a layer of expertise um, playing into who your audience respects um, and they might have some cachet with that audience. Um, like, oh yeah, I know that guy. I've seen his face. Like, oh, he's now he's talking about that brand. I'm intrigued. Um, and it, it is, I think it's just a general increase of brand awareness. Um, once you get more people talking about your brand, particularly people of a higher caliber, um, not to say, I mean, I'm really loving this whole, I know it was like Two years ago, we had the micro influencers, and then I've noticed like the latter part of 2018, we now have nano influencers, um, which I love. What's a nano influencer? Um, it's even teenier. So okay. it's we're looking at people who have like 1,000, maybe 2,000 followers, but a really motivated audience um, uh, so I guess that are just I guess so highly engaged. Right, the power of the, the power of the many, meaning say so you get 21,000 people nano influencers that's a new word I, I didn't know about those but 20 of those could sometimes be almost stronger than the one in, like mega influencer or we'll call it like you know traditional influencer if that's even a thing um where yeah. you have like you know, right you have like the ten, you know the 10,000 or 50,000 plus influencer because their content might get the the, the strength of that you know 21,000 you know 20 people at 1,000 followers or 2,000 followers that the message is stronger and it's much like you said it's it's very tight knit, very focused and the, the engagement or interactions with that, those people will probably be stronger. Absolutely. And I think now as businesses are focusing more on tangible outcomes from influencer marketing, it's not just the impressions and your reach, which 
you know, the traditional, I'll put in air quotes, um, <laughs> influencers were great at creating impressions. They're like, oh, we got 50 million impressions, 200 million impressions. But now we're looking at the micro and the nano influencers who they mainly have 2,000, 5,000 followers, but 50% of those followers are going to your website and downloading something or they're clicking through to a page. And that's hard metrics that you can report on if they're really proud about because um, people actually took an action. And I've seen the same people who have 50,000 followers, they're still only getting, you know, 1,000 people to go to your site. But it's really impressive when that, like 50% of someone's entire footprint is being motivated to do something. That's a true influencer. That's a true influencer. That's correct. Now, so this is something you're obviously setting it up beforehand. You're, cre you're creating the guideline. You're setting up the expectations with your client saying, is we're going to be working on influencers, nano-influencers, micro-influencers, whatever, whatever the mix is that you create. Um, so that's, so you're creating that before and so you understand, so they understand. And now the overall campaign, how do we, how do you measure that with your, you know, with the tech companies and saying, is okay, we've taken you on this journey of storytelling data to, to drive the story, to really work on your right narrative online. Now we want to say is here's how we prove the ROI, right? Cause that's good. That's their question. They're putting a lot of money and in, in investment in this, in, in the opportunity. How do we prove that? Well, I always like to have an asset or, or at least one. So you're driving them back to the site. So whether it's to a blog post or to download a white paper, listen to a podcast, or, you know, subscribe to a podcast, um, something that we can actually get some hard numbers on, um, purchase something. Because uh, even, and then you have your other elements around it. So whether you have a Twitter chat to drive awareness, um, you have maybe a little bit of paid just till your voice in and around a certain topic is becoming more well known. That's great, but ultimately you need to be driving them somewhere to convert. Um, Cause that's what business leaders want to see. They want to see those numbers. Um, what, what did we do? How is that making money basically? <laughs> uh, basically that's the whole thing. This is where all the soft stuff that we we're just talking about ends up. Right. It, it comes down to the numbers and I think just impressions and general awareness obviously plays a huge role. But at the end of the day, if you're not moving the needle, there's no funds for your next campaign. <laughs> Uh, and so one of the, you said, you mentioned something about social listening and that's a topic also that's a lot of people uh, are talking about now, you know, in different ways. Uh, and what is it about this? social listening is also like a softer thing. Cause it's not like something that you could just say is, okay, everyone's heard my conversations listening to what I'm saying. How do you approach social listening in general? Is there a tool or a series of tools that you use that in terms of saying is that is, these are, this is how I really make sure that the conversation is going correctly. I'm aware of what's going on. How does that work out? Sure. Um, so I think I, I, I think I did social listening before it became a, a term, like several years ago, and I really kind of increased my knowledge on the area when I started working at Nimble uh -huh. um, with John Ferrara. So he um, obviously Nimble is a fantastic tool for social listening, staying on top of your contacts. Um, and since then, so many other tools have come into the mix. And Buzzsumo has evolved. It's great for identification and keeping tabs on topics. Um, I also use Brand24. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of old school Google alerts set for certain topics and people. Oh, we still, we still use those things? What's the Google alert? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I love those things. Um, I have a, yeah, my inbox is filled with like filters into a little folder. Um, and even just Twitter sometimes, like the long tail search on Twitter. Because if you know exactly what you're looking for, there are people talking about it. And you can choose to jump in. Um, or just kind of add them to a list. I'm also a crazy list user on Twitter. Lots of private lists where I'm keeping tabs, um, which then I can port into 
Hootsuite and other tools to make it really easy to engage. And, and so social listening for you is much more, uh, you, you're, you initiate that conversation by understanding the keywords, the topics that these, your clients or customers are working with, uh, and then you start putting them into, organizing them into some sort of process of how, what, what the conversations, what the words that they're using, and then you start craft, you, then you work from the words, you start working on you know, building up some sort of narrative. Is that right? You know, you're working from the bottom. Correct. Yeah, because if we're calling it you know, widget B, but people online are calling it you know, widget C, we, right. we gotta start using widget C, otherwise no one's gonna know what we're talking about. So you kinda you have to learn the lingo, how are people asking the questions, um, especially now with mobile search, like you know, the voice search, you have to really phrase things in your posts so it picks it up um, the way people naturally speak. Um, and all of that plays into having a campaign that resonates. And then I watch their competitors. I watch the influencers they work with before or people who they should be watching. Um, and then hopefully to be proactive when you engage. I mean, a lot of this seems reactive because you're kind of, you're listening, but the goal is to then be very proactive in stepping into a conversation. So, so that, first of all, I, I love this. I love the, the like, like you said before, the holistic approach of it. You know, as you're saying is it's the keywords, it's the listening, it's the, understanding their competitors, putting them all into this, you know, this nice big mix and that helps you drive the conversation towards a proper narrative and a proper story that you're going to tell, which is great. And then you have the influencer marketing piece, which I think is, uh, is critical. And you said it's already a very big topic today and will be for the next, I think the next couple of years. Um, when you're working with influencers and you're working with your brand now and you're saying is, okay, do the, do, do you, when you, um, engage with an influencer do you like say we expect certain things uh this is a conversation or a debate that i have with people all the time do we kind of give it open to them saying is we have certain kind of expectations or are there no expectations let's get to be a little bit looser um i think it depends on the partnership so i never do a one and done with an influencer i always look at it as like and many of the relationships that i've had they started long long time ago and i've just pulled them into various campaigns um and it's great. So that's, and they kind of have that symbiotic relationship where I don't have to explain exactly what we're looking for. They just kind of naturally know what the expectations are. Working with somebody new, um, I do kind of, I, I wouldn't go so far as to be like, okay, I need five tweets. Um, you need to use this handle. Um, but kind of giving them, a, and it makes it easier for them too, like kind of explaining like, this is, you know, our expectations of the partnership. What do you hope to get out of it? Because obviously it needs to be a mutually beneficial agreement. Otherwise, it's just not going to work, <laughs> um, which I think is often forgotten. Um, people are too quick to ask without, you know, always give first. <laughs> it comes back. Um, but no, I think, and also give them as much as you can. Like give them, if you want somebody to participate in a Twitter chat, I always supply them with a lot of articles, reading materials, um, just so they don't have to spend a lot of their time Obviously, we want them to be a thought leader or, you know, someone who's already familiar with the topic, but just to kind of like save them time with like, okay, what is the 2019 data points? Like just here's some useful information. Um, set them up for success. Awesome. Um, I love that. Yeah. So I didn't mention this before and, you know, looking at your, your profile line is just very impressive to me in general. I don't think I mentioned this before is you're, you're one of the top 50, you know, one of the top 50 MarTech influencer marketing, B2B marketing experts worldwide, which to me, in of itself, that's awesome. Um, but when you're when you're talking to the next, you know, let's call it the next generation, since I've already kind of got, I'm almost aging out of the 25 to 60. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm getting slowly there, working my way up there. But 
how does that, when you're talking about someone who wants to start now, you know, let's call it the next generation of people who are looking to now get into, um, you know, into a space, whether it's tech, whether it's um, a company, whether it's an enterprise, and they're looking to get in there and they want to start rising up. What would you kind of, what kind of advice would you give to them to in terms of, forget, aside from education, which to me is very important, what would, the, what would be in terms of getting their thought leadership and their influence up uh, in terms of that, uh, in terms of the space and how to get their, their name out there a little bit? Um, number one is creating content, creating original content. You want to be a voice, not an echo. Like it's, it's great to share the amazing content that other people are creating, but to really differentiate yourself and to create your own brand, you need to be ultimately creating your own content. And there are so many different ways to do that. Um, whether you choose to have a podcast, blogging, video, and then if you choose video, then are you going to do LinkedIn, Instagram, Snap? I mean, there's <laughs> wherever you're most comfortable. Oh, we're not doing all of them? We're not doing it all? Oh. Would not recommend doing it all, but I would pick one that you truly are passionate about and maybe supplement with something else um, and just go from there. And it's, um, and even employers are looking for that, quite honestly. It's, um, I've, I've noticed in my career, once you reach a certain level, you need to have a brand, not just to complement your expertise. Um. Awesome. And so what you're saying is now you mentioned employees. So I'm going to ask this question because I'm sure this is, and you got, this kind of brings us back to the beginning of our conversation. You said that a lot of the employees within the company that you work with in terms of creating that narrative are the critical pieces of telling the story of the company, both online and offline, obviously, because they always overlap. What is it that you're looking for when you want to listen to the employees or the questions that you ask them to make sure that you, they're resonating or what they're saying and the company is trying to say are in line with each other? Because like, obviously employee advocacy is a big thing now in terms of what people are trying to say and what people are, that so that the message internally and how those people who are like what I like to say is they're like the street reporters for the company. They're the, you know, the brand, they're the brand um, ambassadors for the company and there's no other way to say it. Um, and how people interact with them. How do you get from what they're saying and how do you bring that down from what the people at the top are saying to make sure that the message is right or accurate? Um, well, a lot of that just depends on the transparency of the, the culture of the organization. Um, and I think people are, they're striving to break down silos. Some are getting it right. It's, it's a long-term process. Um, there are a lot of tools that can help. Um, I'm a huge believer in employee advocacy. Um, they are an untapped resource, particularly when you get to a certain size and you always want your employees to be your number one fans. Um, so whether they talk to somebody in a coffee shop or, you know, even a family member, you want them to always be saying amazing things, um, and growing your brand awareness. Uh, what kind of tools, you mentioned tools, what kind of tools for employee advocacy would you recommend? I like dynamic signal. I think it's fairly easy to use, very easy to use from the employee perspective. Um, I've never heard of that, so I don't know. Can you educate me? Um, it's kind of, it's, they have uh, like a, you can white label a site uh, and also an app where employees can log in and you can submit content. Um, so whatever we're putting out on social, we can also then put it into the app so the employee can quickly share to LinkedIn with their own commentary, obviously emphasis on not just like retweeting it. You have to, you know, um, mm -hmm. create their thought leadership is a big um 2019, that's one thing we're gonna, just don't just put the title out, add something else. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't, let me teach you how to tweet. We're gonna do a step exactly. by step. Exactly, no, and it's, and, 
it's it's you got to teach them. And I think that's one thing from, you know, executives and directors, you it's educating, even as simple as that. It might seem intuitive, but it's so easy just to hit that button and you just get the blog title and off you go. Right. Um, that's, that's, that's interesting. I have to check this one out because I've never heard of it, but it's something that it, it you know, that, that's a topic that's still, you know, it's it's still like this a new topic to a lot of people because they're not sure what it means. Every company will mean employee advocacy will mean something else. So it's a new topic, at least in the way I'm seeing it, is that it's new people, you know, there's this like separation between what we do within the company and then what we do when we're all of a sudden, you know, out and about for whether when we're on work, we're representing the company. But even so, they don't necessarily have the same voice, the same conversation points, the same, you know, messaging. And I think that is a very important aspect of how people uh, view the company both online and off. I'm still, I'm still like getting into this one of employee advocacy because I think it's really critical. Um, so I, I, I like this. I'm gonna have to check this one out. This is great. Yeah, um, it's, um, yeah. The lines are blurring though. I think kind of like the work-life balance, um, you're always on. And I think that that's equally true for an employee, whether you're, unless you have separate accounts for your personal, which I know many people did when we first started our Twitter, accounts and now they're we're all kind of merging back into one um, you are sharing personal topics from your primary handles um, and all that goes into your personal brand so and I think that sh it should be like that because I think the accounts that are all business 24/7 are pretty off-putting yeah because um, again you want to you're human people want to know like well what do you do what what other books do you read do you do you ever laugh like <laughs> you know is there what's going on you're not a bot you're not a bot people might like what you do but they're really going to love you for that you know funny joke you shared or the fact that you like you know rocky road ice cream that's where you're going to make relationships Ooh, you just hit a sore point on me you can't find rocky road here so much in israel um, um really no yeah, that's my favorite that's why it came to mind <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually a, i'm a big fan of ben and jerry's uh but uh they have fish food if you've ever had ben and jerry's fish food p-h-i-s-h yep. brand um, so it's mm -hmm. one of my like the band. Yeah, the band. Um, used to be a fish head way back when, um, when I was below the age of 25. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, watch my go. But then, uh, so here, Rocky Road is not so popular. I think it's because Israelis don't like that mixture of moist, um, mushy marshmallow and um, gooeyness. They're not into that. I, I happen to love it, but um, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big marshmallow fan. So yeah, that's why. I can okay. even go without the almonds, but I like marshmallows. So yeah. Okay. So this is now we're talking about marshmallows and uh, sales and marketing. Okay. Anyway, so um, so when since we're kind of running, uh, we're getting finishing up on the time. I don't want to take your time because I know how valuable it is. Um, so besides you know working with Thulium, which is great, and you're doing some awesome things both with Thulium and and its clients that you're working with. Um, since I watch all these lovely conversations that were going on and. I engage on the Mercer chat. What other things is Rachel, you know, what is what else is Rachel do, working on? Fun things, not necessarily work with. What am I working on? Um, well, so late last year, I kind of started on a big fitness drive for myself. So on a personal element, that was a big thing. I did a six week challenge, um, which was hard, but I was um, came out of it um, a lot fitter. So I'm ready to hit 2019 hard. What kind of um, goals for fitness? And, and then I, I, for my hobbies, a lot of them, um, kind of it was to like lose 5% body fat. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. okay. Oh, you know, so yeah, 
it was a pretty hardcore six week uh, class schedule, but uh, it was fun. I'd never, I had never done classes before. Like I type in yoga, but not like in a, like a, a weightlifting or any sort of kickboxing type setting. So. Oh, jeez! Now you can kick um, my butt. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so that was my, my big thing. So I'm continuing that for the new year. <laughs> yeah. So if you ever meet me in a dark alley, you can. I always. <laughs> I'm just standing on your side. Um, I'm the stars on your side. And then for, yeah, exactly. Stand, stand behind me. <laughs> <laughs> no, just uh, I, I just walk around with a pepper spray and sometimes, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So. Um, and then for me, I know um, I've been the girl behind a lot of successful brands and individuals the last few years. So my goal for this year is to kind of get more out there. Um, and I know I've been really fortunate to have a brand that people resonate but it's been a while since I've like, I need to practice what I preach with creating the content um, and start blogging again and doing more video work. So um, that's something I'm hoping to kick off this year. Or well, I am kicking off. I'm going to be more. <laughs> You're right. yes. it's, only, it's only three days yeah, into I'm the year. It's day three. I'm already on a podcast, so we're doing good. Awesome. Yeah, I'm on day three. I'm already in two podcasts in for the year. So I'm also, I'm, 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 do, I'm doing well. Um, so that's, that's cool. So you're doing, um, working on yourself in terms of physical, you're working on yourself in terms of branding because you're building yourself your brand beyond what you do for the company. And you are, you, you mentioned you work with Nimble, you're working with, you work with Thulium now. So you're obviously doing these big name, big brand kind of things. And you said you're the face of it. So it's a good face to have. Um, anything else that you do for, besides, uh, spending time with your daughter, which I, we, we, you know, it's, it's always fun. It's important. Anything else that you're doing, working on? Um, no, I mean, work keeps me pretty busy. Um, and I do like to, a lot of the, the tools that I use, I stay in close contact with them um, to help with a little bit of their development and just general feedback. I'm not shy about sharing my opinion, particularly with tools. If something doesn't work the way I think it should, or it like, man, it's 2019, we need to be able to do this. <laughs> right. So I, I find a lot of, um, it's enjoyment and I think it helps everybody um, when the tools work better, so. Favorite social media platform? I'd like, that. I'd like to ask that question. Twitter, hands down. Yeah, okay. It We're was my enough. first love. I've seen it through its ups and downs. Um, Where's it going this year? Where's it going? Um, I've seen a big resurgence in Twitter chats. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are coming back. I know 2016, 2017, a lot of chats kind of went away. 2018, I saw a lot of them kind of come up, a lot of new ones. Um, I think we're going back to the community is becoming more important um, and community where you can have an active dialogue because I think you can develop community on Facebook and on Instagram. But I think there's really something special about Twitter yep. um, and just that it's so it's so open. It's yep. anybody can join your conversation, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> which I, I love. And Twitter chat to get like a random new person. You're like, man, I've never thought of that, but thank you for coming. <laughs> That's awesome. That's exactly my, it's also my platform of choice anyways. So, um, so we, we've learned about uh, advocacy, uh, influencer marketing. We've learned about telling your story correctly. We've learned about purple as being the sarcastic color <laughs> online um, and that everyone fits into one, basically one age category. No, I'm just kidding. This just a side, <laughs> but that's going to be my uh, going my point. Uh, but anyway, so Rachel, first of all, I really want to say again, thank you so much for your time. I know it's super valuable and thank you for being so advanced about planning because it's really, we kind of think we scheduled this one like a month and a half ago, so it's awesome. Uh, so finally, I'm really excited about it. I was really looking forward to this for a while. Um, so it's great. So thank you. Um, and 
I guess if anyone wants to learn about Rachel or learn about uh, follow her conversations and her amazing content, because she's putting out a lot of it, even if it's not her own stuff, but it's stuff that's from her companies that she's working with. I've seen it. It's great. Uh, so I'll put in the, all your social media handles. You can watch it all. And I, ho I hope we can all find um, Rachel's original content from her own stuff coming out soon, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Stay tuned. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Likewise. Be sure to sign up for the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And remember, the next time you're doing business in the digital economy, make sure to empathize it.